welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Haley Wooden. I'm Tyler Orton. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Thursday after a busy news week, I think. We had the budget, which of course we talked about earlier this week. What are you following? Yeah, you know what? We had a fun story, and by fun, I should say interesting story mm. in BIV's print edition from colleague Glenn Corstrom. He's talking about the minimum wage hikes. We got more details on that last week from the government. And what we are finding out is how this is going to affect the restaurant industry. Will minimum wage lead to price hikes on your menu? Hmm. Haley, I think the answer is going to be yes. That's what it's looking like based on just interviews from various people in the industry. At this point, okay, it's going to be anecdotal. But when they break down the reasons why, I can understand why they're going to have to do this. So Fatburger Canada owner Frank Benedito he tells Business in Vancouver that he doesn't want to reduce staff hours or lay off workers. It's going to be counterproductive to the quality of service that they want to do. That's the same case with just installing those touchscreen kiosks that you're seeing pop up more and more. So I think that could be price hikes in the future for the Fat Burger Canada franchisees. I don't know. Uh, A&W Food Services, uh, they also say uh, that they would not want to reduce hours, cut staff as well. So again, how do they make that all up? Yeah, that's a good question. And I know there have been a lot of comparisons made to what's happening in Ontario because they've been a little bit ahead of us on this one. How did Ontario and Tim Hortons uh, (laughs) handle that situation? Well, that's sort of an example of what not to do. First off, it seemed like because of the the franchisee model, franchisee owners weren't allowed to raise prices and then they were allowed to raise prices and they did. And on the other side of the coin, some franchisees did actually cut breaks, cut hours, cut any perks, if you can really call them perks, they seem sort of like essentials for a job from employees. So yeah. it's I, I get that it may put some businesses in a tight spot. I have, a, I think, a different take when you're talking about a, a, an international chain compared to, say, a, a local mom and pop store. But there are costs as a result of this that, that can't be escaped. Yeah. And, and I should go back and clarify one thing that I said uh, with regards to Fatburger Canada. I, I'm actually not 100% positive if it is that franchisee's model. Uh, so it, I, I, it could just be that the owner, uh, Frank Benedetto, he's going to have to do this throughout the entire chain based on his own decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, uh, there, there's another situation going on with this. If you go look at, I mentioned some fast food restaurants, but if you look at the higher end restaurants here. The Global uh, Restaurant Group uh, has about 10 across uh, you know, Canada right now, 10 different restaurants. And owner Imad Yokob, he says that, look, it, it could actually risk bankruptcy. And I don't think he's really trying to exaggerate in, in this situation because they do operate on these razor thin margins. That's well known within the restaurant industry. So if you think about it, uh, he says that he's paying servers $10, 10 cents an hour. That is actually a dollar twenty five less than the hourly minimum wage. But it's because those servers um, and, and the government allows you know people involved with serving alcohol to take a lesser minimum wage because they know it's going to be made up with regards to tips. But in the meantime, that would have to go up to $15 an hour once that is eventually introduced here in British Columbia. It's, um, and we also have um, the kitchen staff. They're already paid more than minim- the current minimum wage. They're paid $14 an hour at this restaurant. And overall, uh, you know, uh, Yoko points out that his serving staff, they probably make between tips and everything 30 to $45 per hour. So when you go, and I'm not trying to 
pick on, say, employees in this situation, but I am pointing out that it is going to be, the burden is going to be either on the restaurateur in this point, who already has employees making well above minimum wage in every case, or else it's going to be on the customer in which prices will go up on the menu just in order for the employer to meet the government requirements for employees that are already, frankly, taking home more than minimum wage at this point. Anyways. Yeah, this reminds me of a story that came out a few years ago. It featured a Victoria restaurant that made the decision to pay everyone a living wage, but along with that, no tips. But guess what? Do you recall what happened to that restaurant, Haley? No. They actually shuttered... And, oh, did they? Yeah, it didn't really work out. And the other thing, and if I recall correctly, I could be mistaken, but I don't believe the owner had ever actually run a restaurant before or had owned a restaurant before. And that was one of the curious things. So I'm not saying one has to do with the other that, hey, if you try to introduce a living wage, that means your restaurant's going to shut down. It, it might just have to do more with the fact that the restaurant owner was actually not really involved with the industry before this. So, it, And it's a very tough industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It could be any other number of factors too or a combination. But it, it, I think that speaks to the bigger issue that even though we're going to see the minimum wage rise, it's nowhere close to being a living wage no, in no. Vancouver. And that's the other pressure facing a lot of restaurants. They have to attract talent who can't afford to stay here. So they're having to commute and even with a, a slightly higher wage. And we actually spoke to Ian Tossenson from the BC Food uh, and Restaurant Association. I think I have that. Restaurant right. and Food Services Association. Oh, okay. I've Thank memorized you. that at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for it's, correcting It's one me. of those you know, uh, titles that uh, it takes a, a couple goes at. I, I got the I've terms right. Yeah. They're just out of order. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he said uh, that a lot of restaurants, as you mentioned, already pay people above minimum wage, but it's, it's the issue of getting labor here, which mm-hmm. I think even though the wages are rising, that can be a good thing. It might post challenges. However you look at it, the bigger issue, I think, is the talent crunch. And that's not even just in the restaurant industry. It's in construction and other areas, too. Well, and look, I just this is anecdotal once again. But I walk around my neighborhood in Mount Pleasant and I see a lot of help uh, and a lot of help wanted signs, like not just a few here. They're sprinkled around. I, I think they are having a tough time attracting young talent to come in and work at these restaurants. That's what Ian Tossenson had pointed out as well. You typically had a lot of young people coming in and taking these jobs and they're just not there anymore. And I, I don't know what that says about maybe the city of Vancouver and, you know, just the, the cost of living here. But I, I think it is kind of indicative of an overall trend that's going on. Yeah, I completely agree. Why don't we take a short break All and right. we'll come back after this. This podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax and valuation services to businesses in the lower mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, and if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600. That's 604-714-3600. Or you can check them out online at manningelliott.ca. All right, well, you're soon going to be able to buy... I think cheese crackers, other produce, other goods from Walmart Canada online Mm. through a new partnership they're launching with Spud. Now, Spud, for anyone who doesn't know, fairly locally focused, they have operations in several provinces, but they offer a variety of organic, sustainable produce, and they do that strictly almost through online delivery sales. So they're going to be working with Walmart Canada. 
What does SPUD stand for? Is it Sustainable Produce Urban Delivery, something along those lines? Yes. Yeah, yeah okay. you got it right on. Oh, there you go. I'm uh, I'm two for two with regards to the Restaurant and Food <laughs> Services Association and uh, SPUD at this point. Interestingly, SPUD, I heard, used to stand for Small Potatoes Urban Delivery. Okay. Well, that's... It's pretty on the nose because, you know, it's spud. It is. So, okay. Yeah. And I, I don't know whether it was uh, current CEO Peter Von Stokes doing, but it, it changed after he became involved. Mm. Anyway, they do offer more than potatoes, of course. But this uh, has a couple of interesting facts to it. Walmart Canada will be moving into Spud's 74,000 square foot facility in Burnaby. They'll be able to store merchandise, produce, products there, and it'll be Spud that ships it around the Metro Vancouver area starting in the summer. This is just such an obvious kind of next step for the whole Whole Foods-Walmart rivalry and all these players getting in on, you know, I guess dominating the grocery scene now that Amazon is the owner of Whole Foods and you know that Amazon actually kind of failed quite a bit with regards to their online deliveries, which is why they pursued Whole Foods as an acquisition. So I don't know, we, we, we only see this ramping up now with Walmart getting in on this here in Metro Vancouver. It's going to be happening in other markets as well. Um, more competition can't be bad for consumers, right? No, not at all. Yeah. The interesting thing, Walmart's quarterly results came out and this share price tumbled over the fact that growth for e-commerce and online sales has actually been waning. Hmm. And we had the chance to speak to Walmart Canada's online grocer vice president. And he said sort of what their strategy here in Canada is to partner with local organizations like Spud. So they'll have different strategies, different distribution channels, depending on, you know, what region you're looking at in Canada. So it's not necessarily an in-house built distribution center. They're really looking to partner with different companies that have the know-how. So that seems to be their plan moving forward. I think that's really smart, though, because I don't know if a one-size-fits-all solution is going to work on all these disparate different jurisdictions across North America. And yeah, if you, you partner up with people that have been doing it, know what they're doing. That actually makes sense. And it's also, think that's what Amazon did by acquiring Whole Foods. Like, yeah. these are the experts. Let's go to them. Let's acquire their brain power and they know what they're doing. And then we can go from there to do, say, deliveries. Exactly. And Spud has a lot of goodwill built up in communities. It's known for that. So, you know, I, I don't think you necessarily think right away organic, local, sustainable when you think Walmart, although they are investing in that. They have organic selections and have changed their products. Products, But yeah, it's uh, partnering with Spud, I think, is a pretty smart move anyway. Okay. You know, I was not going to bring up this story, but now I just can't help myself because we're just on a food roll at this point. <laughs> but we did discuss it earlier this week on the Roundhouse Radio Show with uh, with Retail Insider Editor-in-Chief Craig Patterson. But Haley, have you heard about this? There's a shortage of chicken at the KFC outlets in the United Kingdom at this point. They have a new supplier and unfortunately it means less chicken to go around. They have been hitting you know, a lot of problems with their supply chain uh, right in the last, it's really exploded in the last week or so. Interesting. So if not chicken, what are they selling? Kentucky Fried. Just <laughs> Kentucky just, Fried. You know what? Actually, I, I no longer eat meat. But my favorite part of KFC was just the coating. Yeah, there you go. So, there you go. <laughs> I like it how you call probably, it coating. <laughs> well, it is like a coating. I don't know what skin? it is. And I don't want to know. Well, it's not actually the skin of a chicken. It's it's like... Well, it's like, like, okay, well, uh, like the 
on like top. The crunchy. Yeah, it's the, like kind of the batter, but yeah. it is like chicken skin, right? I guess so. Okay, with batter right. on it. They okay. could sell that. And people would buy that. That would be a marketing ploy. If they're listening to it, you heard it here. Just sell KFC quoting. But there were reports of people calling the police because their outlet was closed down due to the chicken shortage. There was even reports of workers at KFC going to butcher shops and getting chickens from there, which KFC corporate had said, please do not do that. Um, we have a lot of safety and health regulations in place uh, in order to ensure that there's no kind of hiccups with regards to the products that we're serving. We just don't know where this meat's coming from, from these maybe local butcher shops. Although I, I can't you know, imagine a, a local butcher shop is going to be super, super dangerous. But mm-hmm. people take their fried chicken very seriously <laughs> in the United Kingdom. It is the largest market in Europe, and I think it might be top five in the world. So I don't know. I, when was the last time you had a KFC uh, meal? I, I know you don't eat meat anymore, but you do recall the the coating, as yeah. you call it. Uh, probably a decade. Yeah. Yeah, f- I'd say five to ten years. I can't remember. I think it had to be like high school for me because uh, do you remember Toonie Tuesdays where mm. you could go to KFC and it, it's wild to think about this you know, <laughs> nowadays, but for $2, you'd get like fries, a chicken thigh, and a drumstick, and I think maybe even a drink as well. It's like uh, I, I'd have like friends in high school, they'd buy like, I don't know, three of them and have them for lunch. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, I don't think you. I don't can know find if uh, they have good hearts for... at this point, but you know, <laughs> you can. Yeah, I guess like the the what, what's that dollar menu at McDonald's is maybe somewhat comparable, but you're, you'd be hard pressed to find an actual meal for two bucks. Okay. The speaking of dollar menus, so I grew up in in Seattle in the 1990s, and then when we moved back up to Canada in 2000, uh, we went into a Wendy's. And they had the dollar menu there. But this is when the dollar was worth about 66 cents. Mm. And so I remember thinking like, well, it's a dollar menu in the U.S. Since everything on the same menu in Canada, you're actually paying like um, quite a bit less for everything on this Wendy's dollar menu. Look at you. You are destined to be a business reporter. (laughs) (laughs) Just thinking about those things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I did not realize at the time, and I've only realized it just in the last, you know, let's say 10 minutes, Haley, but my niche is fast food. It's <laughs> every single topic we've hit on is is, is kind of food related in one way. I so. know. I really want to know before we wrap this okay. up. Did you like bulk buy in Canada and like bring it back and sell it for a dollar to your friends? Yeah. yeah I would, a uh, business? I'd have to hide it. Um in my hoodie pouch, you know, like the kangaroo jackets, I, I'd uh, as I went across the border, so you know they they wouldn't know. But uh, other than that, the friends were happy to get my um my congealed fast food that I was delivering from them at a bit of a premium. So yeah, there you go. Congrats! You're Thanks. also very entrepreneurial with your fast food. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well that ends today's BIV podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. If people want to connect with you, Tyler, where can they go? Yeah, go to Twitter. You can find me at Reporton. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. You can also find my stories and pretty much all the stories that we talked about today, except for the KFC chicken shortage. Uh, You can find us at BIV.com. But I, I do take it back. We do have a link to our recent radio show that addressed the chicken shortage. So you can go to BIV.com and find more about the chicken shortage right there as well. Chicken shortage is not an easy term to say. 
okay. I, yeah, I say it. Tongue twister. Yeah, you know, that's why I say it every time. Uh, we just before we record the podcast, I say it five times fast. It helps, you know. Like kinda, that's what that was. Yeah, exactly. Albert and, and I thought you were. <laughs> we didn't know what was going yeah. on. You're referring, anyway. of course, to Albert, the tech director, who's yeah. smiling as we talk all about you know our, our different thoughts on um, uh, consumables here. We like it when he smiles. Yeah. If you want to connect with me, my handle is at Haley Wooden, also on Twitter, and we have our podcasts up on iTunes and Stitcher, too, if you want to connect with us there. Anyway, that's it for today's show and for our podcasts this week. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>